different songs serve different purposes. They all should instruct in the truth, but some are, are those praise and anthem songs that we need to sing to ourselves as much as to the Lord. We're singing what we believe, and, and we're staking our, our flag in the ground. This is the truth. We stand on it. That needs to be on our heart week in and week out. Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. We live and aim to please Him. And as part of that aim to please Him today is we need to understand how we fight the battle that He has called us to in the day and time in which we live. And, and kids, I'm so excited that you're in here with us. And I hope that you have one of those, those kids' booklets. That's going to come in handy, all right? Because I want to see afterwards if you were able to circle all of the key words that I used through the message. And I'll give you a hint. Some words like armor, belt, truth, peace, breastplate. That's a big word right there. You make sure to circle those when I, when I tell them. And, and you can draw pictures of what we're describing because... This is a great passage to help us visualize what God is talking about. Thank you, Pastor Dennis, for those visuals. You know, what, what, is a, what is a visual for? It's to teach us and instruct us in something. So I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 this morning and chapter 6. So the first and last chapters of the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, you'll want to hold your place there. If you're searching online, you can, you know, maybe mark, mark two tabs there. Because uh, we're going to need to remind ourselves of both. And as you turn there, I'm sure some of you have some favorite movies where there are battles being fought, good and evil, uh, right and wrong, or you know, uh, America versus the British, or, or some famous uh, tale from, from history. And usually in those movies, there's always a famous speech, Right? A famous speech that, that's going to get those troops roused up and ready to go. It's going to bring them together. It's going to encourage their hearts. It's going to inspire them. And I, I don't know how it works in, in the real world. Is it whichever side gives the most rousing speech? Uh, that's you know, In the movies, that's how it works, apparently. But I think of movies like Braveheart or Lord of the Rings. There's several powerful speeches given at Crucial Times. I love Lord of the Rings. Or what about Friday Night Lights? You know, those high school football players in Permian, Texas, and, uh, or any given Sunday. It stirs your heart, and it gets the troops together, and if you're watching the movie, it brings you in on the action as well. You're excited about that. Well, as I consider our passage today, I don't think it was necessarily meant as a rah-rah battle message, but I, I would say it's not, not an inspiring battle message, especially when I consider how many of us this week, just from hearing and talking to one another, that's why fellowship is so important, but to know the battles that you're facing and going through, man, how, how can any one of us stand under the pressure and the burdens, the physical hardships, or what family members are going through, or, or the job uncertainty, or you name it. We need this this morning. God knows exactly what we need to hear this is a soul-stirring message, and I pray that it will stir you through those discouragements or those doubts or the fears that you have been facing. And we will see Christians need to embrace the total protection we have in Christ and put on his armor. So let's start in Ephesians 6, 
we'll read uh, basically what would have been our, our key verses through this whole series, verses 10 and 11. Finally, Christian, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We've, we've seen what spiritual warfare is from the Bible. It's a battle against Satan and his demonic forces. It's also a battle within our flesh, our old sinful nature before we came to Christ. Battles with the Spirit and the work He wants to do in our hearts each and every day. There's a conflict inside. Of course, we know that the battle's already won. Jesus has declared it. He's on the throne. His Spirit in us cannot be cast out. So it's not a, a matter of will we win this battle or not. And I think that's the first takeaway we have to understand. Before we talk about putting on our armor, we have to understand we are, in fact, already protected in Christ. The moment that a sinner recognizes their need for a Savior, sees that Jesus has paid it all, with his body, with his blood on the cross, that he died, that three days later he physically and literally rose from the dead, and he ascended to heaven on high, and he's reigning over all, and he's going to come back victorious. When your heart believed in that message, never to be dissuaded from its truth, then his Holy Spirit came inside of you. The Spirit of Christ, his actual spirit, member of the triune God, permanently indwells you and you are sealed you are in christ it's one of paul's favorite terms in all of his letters you can read them anything that that ends in ians or ems in christ you are in christ you are hidden in christ with god he is in you you are in him it's a permanent marriage that will never be dissolved because jesus does not divorce his bride you're protected you're in him the cornerstone has you. Now, we feel weak. We feel helpless. We should. We are not the anchor in this relationship. But that also means on our worst weeks, the anchor holds on to us. No matter what, we're protected in Christ. So now, hold your place and jump with me to Ephesians 1. And let's remind ourselves. Oh, my goodness. I dropped that pen one more time. Just go to the pocket. This is some of the blessings we have in Christ. Look at Ephesians 1, 3. Well, actually, just why don't you scan Ephesians 1, 3 through 10, and I'm just going to bullet point list in there for sake of time, because we can't jump to the practical effects of the gospel if we don't remember the gospel. So the gospel tells us that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So there's spiritual blessings. And he goes on to tell us, he has adopted us as sons. That's verse 5. He has chosen us. He has loved us. He has pursued us. Calls us again his sons. He shows us grace upon grace. We're told in verse 7 that we have redemption. We have been freed from our sin. We've been freed from the shame of our past, present, and future through his blood he already shed his blood knowing exactly how sinful and shameful we are how broken we are he did that in spite of our sin loving us to 
the cross. And he loves us so much he wants to make known to us the mystery of his will. How he's bringing heaven and earth together. How he's already won the battle for the human soul. And we are just carrying out his plan now till every soul who's supposed to be a part of God's family comes home. And then we'll be forever with him. That's where we are now. We're in the already, not yet. Already Christ is reigning. He's won the victory. But not yet have we seen that final piece on the battlefield where the sword will be turned into a, a farming instrument. It hasn't happened yet. But in the meantime, remember this faith that you have bought into from the beginning. Christ has not forgotten you or left you. You are protected in him. You can't lose him. It's not like you have to work in order to further protect yourself. If you and I could have protected ourselves from the beginning, what is this all for? What do we need the gospel for? We're hopeless. Jesus is the hope. And if he's in you, now when we say put on our armor, we understand this is something that's already inside of us. It's Christ. It always has been. It always will be. And it's a big difference in a mindset that we're not fighting in order to achieve salvation. If that's your mindset of the gospel, every week is going to knock you on your tail. You're going to hate it, and life is going to be misery. That's where the enemy wants to keep you. Because you didn't do good enough. You didn't obey enough. You didn't read your Bible enough. You didn't listen in church enough. You didn't share the gospel enough. What a miserable life. You will never measure up. Christ says, I know you don't measure up. The truth is, I came to be your fullness. I came that your joy might be full. So trust in me. We work and fight from our salvation. We're already in a position of strength. And one of my mentors and, and former professors, he had this to write in his book on spiritual warfare. It is the believer's position in Christ that provides the protection. The protection of salvation. The protection of righteousness and truth. On the other <coughs> hand, Paul tells us that these weapons, we already have been given and, and possessed, they need to be exercised. They need to be deployed in service of the king. So we're about to talk about some of these pieces of armor. Very important. But Jesus does not need this armor. You and I do. We need to know what to do with the power of Jesus that dwells within us. So, Christians need to embrace the total protection in Christ. And we do that by putting on his armor. So let's go to Ephesians 6, 11 through 15. Let's look, we're going to look at three pieces of armor this week, and we'll finish up next week. Let's see. Oh, I'm on the wrong page. Pardon me. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand or withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You want to see how tightly Jesus has you and how tightly you belong to him? We are given his armor. Why on earth 
would you give away your armor to someone else? It's not going to fit them. Unless, of course, the armor that Jesus has given us is because we already have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So this armor is a perfect fit for every single child of God. It's him. We're told, put on the armor. Verse 11, verse 13. Now one commentator noticed, noticed this is interesting because Paul, in all his letters, he typically just refers generically to weapons. It's kind of a generic term, weapons, and he moves on. But here, he almost painstakingly, piece by piece, lists off all of the elements of the armor that a soldier would wear into battle. Talks about the helmet, talks about the sandals of the feet and the breastplate, the shield and the sword. It's, it's a whole getup. Why does he do that here? Because his whole point in Ephesians is that you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. When you are covered by his blood, when the Father looks at you, he sees the image of his Son. You'll see in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4, he talks about we need to be remade in the likeness of Christ. So we're covered in Jesus, head to toe. We've already got what we need. And legend is told of us of the Spartan army over in Greece, Macedonia, and these warriors who were proven winners and won battle after battle after battle, they could go from a dead sleep at night to when the alarm was rang, they would be on their feet, dressed for battle, fully alert in seconds. It wouldn't even take them a full minute. They were ready for battle. And do you think that improved their confidence a little bit? in their battles that they were fighting and made a big difference. That mindset. We got to go from sleeping to wake up. And Christian, we got to wake up. We're in a battle. We can't roll out of bed late, drowsy, rushing out the door, not spending time in the Word, because there's an enemy out there that's going to throw every single mental and spiritual and emotional attack at you, and we're not ready. We're not ready unless we have the mindset, I'm clothed in Christ, I need to have the mindset of Christ, I'm going to put on the armor of Christ. So first armor we got to put on, the belt of truth. And our God and his word is the truth. We're told in Isaiah 11 verse 5 that truth is bound around the sides of God. Like he's, he's clothed in it. This is who he is. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So wherever God goes or is, his truth is right at hand. He cannot lie. He can't manipulate. He doesn't change the terms and conditions after he's already laid out the terms and conditions of his covenants to us. It also means that God can never be in the wrong. He has a whole long conversation with a man named Job about that. Would you even put me in the wrong? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? What wisdom do you have to tell the snow and the hail and, and the wind to blow? That's all on God. He is the truth. So husbands, that won't work for you when you're in an argument with your wife. Just admit it. 
You don't have all the truth, right? Yes, honey. Yes, honey. I, I understand. Doesn't necessarily mean the honey is always right, but as long as you're approaching it from a position of, I don't have all the truth, Jesus does. I think that's a healthier way to uh, go through those conversations. But I love it because the belt of truth, if you're looking at it from, from a Roman perspective or a soldier perspective in Paul's day, the belt would be the first thing that those soldiers would put on. It is like Under Armour is to sports today. That's the stuff you're going to put on first. It's tightly clinging to the skin and allows for mobility. Now, in Paul's day, men would have longer, more flowing garments. They, they weren't typically running everywhere. So what this, this belt would do is it would actually let them gird up their loins, to use the, the old term, but basically allow them to, to get to work. Okay? So they're folds their garment, bound up in their belt, but also these actual soldiers, it would protect their lower abdomen. Lower abdomen, this essential area here, it's covered. So have you ever been hit by a low blow? <laughs> How important to have things covered. How important is it to have the belt of truth on? You walk out that door, the enemy would love for you to forget all the promises of Scripture that day so he can just walk right up to you boom, take all the air out of your lungs. And you're spending the rest of the day on your back trying to catch your breath. Does God love me? Does he care about me? Does he have a plan for me? Those are all basic elements of truth in the Word already laid out for us. But if it's not put on, you're reeling the rest of the day. So gird up. Put that belt on. Remember the Gospel. That before we had the Spirit of God, none of us knew the truth. We were blind. And if we were so easily led astray before, could we not be led astray again? Not like our soul would be led astray from God, but that we'd be confused onto the truth. We have to gird up our mind with the truth. So we're learning about God. So we're having a biblical worldview no matter what we face today. Busyness is not an excuse for us to not put on our armor. Do you think a Spartan soldier is going to be too busy to put on his armor before he runs out to fight? Not a chance. Because the armor is part of the victory. you got to have your armor on. Take the time. Find your mind in the truth. Center your life on his plans. And can I give one sad example from Scripture of when someone did not do that? How that went for him? You look at a man named King David. Had a great relationship with God. I, I envy it in many ways. Have you read the Psalms that he wrote about his love relationship with God? My goodness, this man was so gifted, such a humble servant king. But in 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, we're told that one year in the spring, when kings are supposed to go off to battle, David remained at Jerusalem. He took a spring off from his warfare and responsibilities. He said, you know what? I'm busy. i got things to do. I'll manage things back home. Next thing you know, he's walking up on his balcony, which apparently he wasn't too busy because he had time to walk up on his balcony, sees a woman, and I think most of us know the story from there, leads to murder and deceit, adultery, the death of a child, as a consequence, and then 
all of David's children that were killed as a result down the road. Those are all fallouts and consequences of his decisions. He just took a spring off. What's the big deal? Because when you're not putting your armor on, you are susceptible. You are weak. And it can have devastating consequences, if not on your life, on the lives of others. So we don't want to take one morning off. We don't want to take one day off. Let's see, those of you that are keeping track, how long is a typical Sunday morning sermon? According to a church. <laughs> depends on the church. It depends on what Pastor Josh is in another day. I think I average, because I do the, the sermon audio editing, I think I average around 38 minutes about where I'm at. Sometimes I go towards 40, sometimes last week was 35. So we'll see about this week. About 38 minutes. And I got thinking, how many minutes are in a week? It's 10,080. Do you want to know how many minutes out of, or what percentage out of the week is that sermon? It's 0.003%. So if you're thinking, oh, I heard a good sermon on Sunday morning, that will carry me through my week. Oh no, my friend. This is the starting point. You have to daily put on the belt of truth. And we live in a, an era in a society where we have the whole counsel of the word of God. If this intimidates you, not sure how to read it or where to start, that's where discipleship comes in. And church, we are a church that will help every single one of us fully know and understand and live this word. But you've got to put the belt on. You've got to be willing to do that and develop that quality time. So immerse your mind in God's truth each day. Different ways to do that. Audio Bible, reading a chapter a day. There's different apps that help you track and keep along with that. But I also want to encourage you, one way you put the truth on is to share it with somebody else. If truth ends with you and you don't pass it on, are we really advancing the gospel against the evil one? Take ground. And it helps cement it in your mind as well. When you pass it on to your family or your coworker, or you post it on social media, it wraps it in your mind and it adds permanence to the fact that God's kingdom is in fact coming into this world. And then I want to encourage us. How do we put on the belt of truth? One way is to just avoid deceiving people. We should be as far away from manipulation and deceit and lies. That's the enemy's work. I want no part in that. Just this past, just a couple days ago, a breaking headline about this leading church leader lied on his resume. Why? Why? You're covered in Christ. What do you have to prove? Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Avoid deception. Speak the truth. There might be consequences, but God will see you through. Secondly, we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's verse 14. So it's, all, it's just one after the other. First, put on the belt, but don't stop there. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, going back to Isaiah. In Isaiah 59, we're told that Yahweh, the self-existent God, He has a breastplate of righteousness. It's that, it's that exact turn of phrase. We're supposed to see God in His holiness, in His righteousness. He's wrapped in it. And he gives us that same, that same breastplate. Now, we're told in Philippians 3.19 that the believer has the righteousness of Jesus. It's him. 
He enables our heart to now live rightly with God and with others. So the heart is the battleground. The heart is also, uh, you can't understate the importance of your heart relationship with God. Your tenderness to the truth, your love for God, your love for others. Because as the heart goes, so goes everything else. Now, to, to speak of a Roman armor, they could wear two different kinds of breastplates. One was they had metal bands on the sides and they were connected with strong leather in the, in the, in the middle here. It's kind of overlapped and woven here so to protect you against those, those sword strikes. Kind of think of like a rib cage almost. You got those metal ribs. Another type of breastplate was the chain mail. That was made link by link, linked together, and they just put it on a cover. Either way, you got to make sure this is protected. You got to make sure someone can't just walk up behind you and get you in the back, right? You've got to protect the essential organs. So what does that mean spiritually? It means what Paul told us in Ephesians 4.24. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in true holiness. One of the gifts of becoming a child of God is that you are given a new identity. There's a new man or woman <laughs> inside of you. Who is that? It's, it's Jesus. Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus. But that also means you need to say no to the flesh. You need to say no to the desires and you need to say yes to what is right. And don't tell me it's too hard. I can't. You have the Spirit of God inside of you. With Christ, all things are possible. Not just some things. All things. That heart, that relationship... That is so, so important. Now, what happens oftentimes is when the battle gets hard or the enemy starts pummeling us, like with artillery, what's the purpose of artillery? You want to barrage the enemy to try to get them to expose their flank or to try to run or to flush them out of hiding or you're trying to bring in an attack maybe around from the side and the artillery keeps them distracted. Sadly, what happens a lot of times in our spiritual warfare is when you're getting pummeled, we think, oh, that's when I need to take my armor off and I just need to run or I need to resort to the tactics that the world uses, anything to get out of this pummeling. And the enemy says, I gotcha. All I had to do was pummel hard enough and you did the work for me. You took off your integrity. You took off your honesty, and you ran towards the world. That's not going to rescue you. It's a deceitful ploy from the enemy. And some ways that we deal with our, our failure in that area is we don't want people to know that we're struggling. We don't want people to know that we're failing. So, you know, we indulge ourselves, or we live like the world, and then we put on a hypocritical mask. Or we put on... Formalism. Pastor Dennis and I were discussing that about, about from a book the other day about, you know, just religious activities or legalism. If I do this good thing here, it will outweigh this bad thing here, and, or I can add to my righteousness. Okay, that's called self-righteousness, and it's not going to work. That offers no protection from the enemy. It's a fraud. It's a fake. 
The only righteousness that will protect you is the authentic righteousness of Christ. And that's why we make a distinction between trying to live like Jesus, or rather just let Jesus live through you. Walk in his spirit. Walk in his ways. Listen to his voice. And the authentic character of Christ will shine through. Someone who's self-righteous and says, hey, look at me. I'm a, I'm a good Christian. Follow me. It's like when you're looking for a good Airbnb and you're looking at the description, they say, beautiful ocean view from this, from this house. Oh, great. And you book it. And then you show up and you get your bags out of the trunk and you're standing in the driveway. And the only glimpse you have of the ocean from the Airbnb is this little crack between the two buildings across the street. Did that description lie to you or not? Of course they at least twisted the truth. That is not the relaxing, refreshing look I was looking for, taking a week off work for this. That's what self-righteousness does. People either come to church or they get to know Christians and then they find out the Christians have just been lying this whole time and that leaves them empty, hungry, dissatisfied. Is this really what it is to live the Christian life? We're all just a bunch of frauds? God help us to daily confess that temptation, to live as hypocrites or to live in our self-righteousness. And we put on the character of Christ because the gospel is for now. It's not just for the future. Here and today, we can experience the grace of Jesus. And if you've been walking for multiple days as a hypocrite or trying to find self-righteousness or telling people you're doing good and you're not, today's the day where you can just leave that junk right here on the floor. Grace is near and can be found. In church, people are here because living hope is the real deal. They see Christ in you, and it's attractive. I want that to be the biggest attractant for our church. These people are imperfect. But, man, they want to love Jesus, they want to live for him, they want to love each other, and they'll love me too. It is possible to live the Christian life. We've got to put on our belts. We've got to put on our, our breastplate of righteousness. Here's the third thing we need, and I'll be done. You've got to have the right footwear. You've got to have the right footwear, and it's the gospel of peace. Verse 15 tells us, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, it shouldn't be a secret to you. Or maybe, maybe it'll be a, a shock to you. I cheer for the Chicago Bears. They are my team. Yes, they lost last night to the Colts, Lacey's team. But, you know, it was a preseason game. Not a big deal. We'll bounce back from it stronger than ever. But, uh, you know, being a Bears fan, you do take a lot of lumps over the years. Because we are, in fact, one of the oldest NFL franchises. I think we're second oldest uh, compared to the Cardinals. But back in 1934, we made it to the championship. We were undefeated. She's laughing already. <laughs> laughing already. I know. It's a, it's a bear story, so there's going to be some laughter involved. We were undefeated. We had won back-to-back -back championships. We were doing great. But we had to play over in New York against the New York Giants, and it was going to be freezing cold for that game. This game, if you've heard of it, is referred to as the sneakers game because it was so cold in that open-air field that it was a literal sheet of ice on the ground. 
So hardly anyone is making ground. Hardly anyone is scoring. They're stumbling all over each other, and no one can get their gripping. Somehow the Bears get to a 13-3 lead. But unbeknownst to them, the Giants go to the locker room at halftime, and they change their footwear. Didn't make much of a difference in the third quarter because they were still getting a feel for it, but in the fourth quarter, the Giants caught fire and scored 30 unanswered points and smashed my bears. They just, they just annihilated them. Exactly. So which team had the better record and should have won? I'm convinced it was the bears, but the Giants were the smarter team and they said, what are we slipping around here for? Let's change shoes. Once you know, about 22 years later, the same thing happened all over again. It's like unbelievable. We didn't learn our lesson. You gotta have the right footwear. Now, this footwear that we're told about the gospel of peace, the word used in the Greek is hupadeo. So the word pod is that core word there. So if you've gone to see a podiatrist, you've gone to see a foot doctor, right? So this is you just gotta have the right footwear. And he knew, his readers knew, we, we will be informed in just a minute here, that the soldiers had to have their leather footwear. You're not going anywhere if you don't have your, your war sandals on, and it was just simply you know, leather that had the straps all around, and then you had hobnails, hobnails excuse me, holding it together. And there was a, a proverbial saying that a soldier who throws his shoe, similar to a horse that throws its shoe, you know, has lost the battle. If you can't stand, how are you going to fight? And that's what Paul is saying here. The footing of the believer is actually the gospel. The readiness of the gospel, which kind of confuses some theologians. Readiness for the gospel. So are we on the offense and we're advancing readiness? Or, or is it you're prepared for attacks and you can withstand it's a bit of both. Both are necessary because you can't fight if you can't stand, but you're also not winning the fight if you're not moving forward. Isaiah 52, 7 says this beautiful, beautiful picture of a messenger with the good news. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes excuse me, salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Are your feet wrapped in the gospel? Is this what your whole foundation is on? We live and move, have our brain, being in our uh, state of peace with God. Because we're in a war and Satan wants us to be unsettled and anxious and to have the opposite of peace. That's why every day we need to look down and say, who am I? Why am I here? How do I have a relationship with God? Does he really love me? You look, okay, I believe the gospel. I'm ready. Jesus has given me what I need, and I can advance bringing peace to others. That verse in Isaiah gives you the picture of a messenger coming from the front lines of the battle, running through the mountains, and the people in the city are anxiously awaiting news of the battle. Did we win? Did we lose? And the messenger is sprinting back as fast as he can. And as he gets closer, they see the smile on his face. 
we've won. How would you love to be a messenger that brings that kind of good news to the city? We've won. There's peace. Stop frantically packing up your house and getting ready to get out of here. It's okay. We've won the victory. That's the gospel that we have. We are ready to bring peace. We are ready to embrace peace for ourselves. So when Jesus tells us, go and make disciples of all nations, the nations need to know the message of peace. The message that you already have. And I pray, believe, and have accepted it for yourself. Because mankind is in a war, and for the unbeliever, that's a war against God. You're on the side of darkness. Your sin is going to bring you to the day of judgment and eternal condemnation. But God in his mercy sent Jesus to take our place on the cross. And he rose from the dead. And he said, if you believe in me, I will pluck you up from the one side and put you down on the other. And we have peace. Sure, you're still in a spiritual warfare, but wouldn't you rather fight the side that's losing and is already condemned rather than Almighty God? And we have the gospel right here. We can share the peace of God with our neighbors. Peace is a powerful thing. Why do you think Satan opposes us so hard? He doesn't want you bringing peace to people's lives. He doesn't want you bringing peace to the person addicted. He doesn't want you bringing peace to the person who condemns themselves day in, day out. He doesn't want you to bring peace to the alcoholic. Because you'll actually bring healing to their lives. He hates that. We love it. Because that's the kingdom of God advancing and bringing peace. So in order to do that, friends, we have to go deeper in the gospel. That's where you're going to find us week in, week out. Getting into this word, letting the gospel get in us and change us and take root. Because then we have fruit. And we go out. It also means you need to be in the word. You need to let the word dwell in you richly so then you are energized to go farther. When you're talking to that person at Walmart, if you've been meditating on the word and if you've been satisfied in the gospel and enjoying the peace of Christ, there's that extra pull to say, I should say something. Hey, how can I pray for you? Or hey, how's work going today? Terrible. Ah, oh, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. You guys do such a good job taking care of us and you know, is there, is there anything that, you know, I, I can pray for you for? Or has anyone ever shared the gospel with you? They say no, great. Maybe there's an opportunity to share. Or let me tell you more. But if you don't have a settled heart, it's hard to help advance that peace to others. And we're a church that's committed to advancing the peace. And we're not going to stop. We might have some down weeks. But week after week, as we put on our armor, we put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, we put on the shoes, the readiness of the gospel, we keep running. We stand firm. And, and one of the ways we like to do that is, is we've been praying about it, we've been talking about it, but we want to maximize the imprint, the footprint of this church that's taking the gospel to the people around this community. That's why small groups are such a big deal. It's the peace of God in our homes, in our families, in our relationships, and people can see that. They can see there's something different about that. We invite them in, and we love, and we pursue them. Our groups multiply, and we take up more ground for the kingdom. 
One day, we're going to be a church that plants churches. So think, the joy and the peace that we experience here, we can have that times two. Because we'll see people that we have sent out bringing peace to other people who are lost. And again, and again, and again. We're praying for a place where we can meet per, you know, permanently, like have a lease situation. This is where you can find us. This is where you can find peace and hope. And we'll counsel people there and we'll minister there. And we'll probably serve the homeless and the needy there. That will be our base of operations. But Pastor Dennis and I were talking, you know, we want to ask you all to commit to invest with us so that the gospel goes forward. It's going to be a time commitment. There's going to be financial commitments. We would encourage you to consider that as well. They're serving commitments. You have to be able to go deeper in order to go farther. But we don't want to keep all of the resources and all the money and all the things for ourselves. We decided for those that give above and beyond what you're giving now, 10% of that we're going to send straight to foreign missions. We're going to send it to a translation of the Bible for an unreached people group. We're going to send it to missionaries who are on the front lines advancing peace. We want to set down roots in North Sarasota, but why can't we have an impact on the front lines over in the Middle East? That's why we're here. This generation, this time. And kids, look at me. You can take the peace of God where you guys go. You know Bible stories. You know truth about Jesus. A lot of your friends do not. And I've seen some of you already share some of those things with others at the park and at the playground. Help us take the peace of God to those who need it. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes?